Today's episode is brought to you by Simple Practice. Simple Practice is an all-in-one platform where you can schedule appointments, use paperless intakes, file insurance claims, and now you can meet with your clients remotely using their integrated telehealth system. Go to our special link, ter.li forward slash simple to sign up for your free 30-day trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go to ter.li forward slash simple to sign up for your free 30-day trial. Uh, like I've told you guys before, a Simple Practice is my personal EHR of choice. I've used it since the very beginning of uh, my career in private practice, and it's the solution that I trust. It's the solution that I have relied on um, day in and day out to keep my practice running smoothly. So check them out if you haven't already uh, using our special link. Because running your practice should be simple so you can do the work that really matters. All right, guys, we've got a great show for you today. Let's dive in. Kelly Higdon. John Clark. Third, third, third time's a charm coming on the show. <laughs> I'm so honored. <laughs> Hopefully we're going to really nail it this time because... <laughs> You know, I know the last know. two have, have been a doozy. We've talked about haircuts twice now. <laughs> so people are probably starting to wonder. They're just starting to wonder. You know, I don't doesn't mean they're going to unsubscribe. Doesn't mean they're. You oh, know. man. What if you do get a lot of unsubscribes? <laughs> what, if, what if I just look at the numbers after, literally after this episode and it's like, well, where'd everybody go? <laughs> Guys. I'll buy you a drink. They're like, yeah, it was going great until he talked about haircuts for three three episodes of Kelly Higdon, and I just started feeling like it wasn't really on. This is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I'm paying good money for to listen to this podcast. No, you're not. It's free. Anyway, Kelly Higdon and I have a a deep bond over music, and (laughs) before this episode, (laughs) she started saying. It's freaking me out. Or I said, it's freaking me out. She started singing. It's freaking me out. And she's like, what song is that? And I was like, Copeland. Boom. See? There you go. Straight up early 2000s indie <laughs> emo incredibleness. I bet no one listening to the show knows who Copeland is. I have an inner hipster. Oh, for Deep. sure. You, you're more hipster than me. People always call me hipster. I'm like, you don't even know. Look at Kelly Higdon's iPod. <laughs> My iPod. Your, your iPod color, probably full of Copeland. If you're hipster, it's really more, look at my record collection. Look at my vinyl, yeah. <laughs> Do you have vinyl? No, I don't, because I'm a minimalist. Well. I know, I, I know, but uh, but yeah. we all have our things, and it's not my thing. I'm, I'm okay to listen to things digitally. You have a ridiculous um, snobbery around audio. Audiophile, I know. Yes, yeah. yeah. But this I'm is sure this gonna... is helping everyone who's listening. <laughs> yeah, the other thing helping my audiophile-ness is the freaking lawnmower in the background right now. Right. Going on outside my house, which is taking me near panic, but... Let's just just perseverate on it. No, it's good. Just sit here with, like, you know, the pain of having a in the background. Or we can let it go. (laughs) 
I did a whole episode with Clay Cockrell in New York City. Oh, yeah. There was a jackhammer that started up. It sounded like it was in his living room. Every time he would talk, it was comical. I was like, dude, are you hitting a jackhammer button like on a keyboard every time? Right. It was so comical. And we're both looking at each other like, this is not great. This is not ideal. Hopefully it ends soon, just like in our <laughs> eyes. And then we get to the end. And he's like, we're going to have to redo that, aren't we? And I'm like, I think so. <laughs> That's okay. Well, here we are. Third time's a charm. Third time's the charm. How have you been? Been good. You didn't expect that question, did you? No, I've been good. What have you been working on? Uh, what are you thinking about? What I'm going to do next yep. for business owner stuff, where we're going to move, and, you know, summer's here, so that means summer camps and vacations and stuff like that. So yeah, good stuff, planning stuff, lots of planning and lots of unknowns, but yeah. it'll get sorted out. It always does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I got to remember that. That's a hard one. That's, <laughs> but it's good medicine for anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. it not always work out as we thought it was going to, or as we as we tried, you know, as we hoped, but uh, it always works out in some way. I just make the decisions based on what I know now. So, yeah. That's it. That's the that's the wisdom. <laughs> there was um, my, uh, I feel like I'm doing all the talking, which is not the point of having guests on your show, but I'll tell this tidbit because I think you'll like it. When I was, um, um, a lot of people don't know, but I went back to, I'm a PhD dropout. A few years ago, PhD I took dropout. I had to take the freaking, is that a song? Well, I was just thinking, <laughs> Greece, beauty school oh. dropout. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I don't do musicals. I'm, well, that's where we disagree. I know. It's going to happen. for musicals. Oh, don't. No. Just saying. Whatever. Especially when people get really into like a, a musical soundtrack and they've never even seen the musical. I just think that's weird for some reason. Okay, we can talk about that another time. Okay. We're going to do a fourth episode where Kelly and I resolve our musical, dis- our musical disagreements, which are few and far between, but important nonetheless. So you're a PhD dropout. So I'm a PhD dropout. You just became the interviewer. You're like, okay, get on track. This is how, this is how we do go. I know. This is how 40 minutes goes by and we go, okay, let's start talking about something real now. Um, I had to take the GRE again. It was horrific. And I was like, my scores expired like three months before the applications were due. So I had to take it again. And I'm working with this teacher and he's like the ultimate GRE instructor. I, I love the guy. I thought he was great. And when we were working on these math problems, it's these stupid problems where it's like, you know, Jim is traveling at X miles per hour and he's going to Denver and Susan's going the other way. Who's going to get there first? And you're like, I, I have nothing here. I have nothing to work with. And you know, you, like we're all sitting around going like, we, we don't have the other number. We need the miles per hour. Like, I don't know what a kilometer is. And, uh, he's like, move forward in the absence of perfect information. And he wasn't trying to be profound, but of course, as a therapist, I'm always like listening to things as if they're all metaphors and they're all profound. It's all like philosophical. That's a quotable. And it was very quotable. And I was like, dude, that's deep, right? But he was really just saying, 
in this in the GRE, you're going to have moments. You're going to have these situations where you're sitting there going, I don't have everything I need. I don't have everything I need. I need something now. I need a little bit more. And it's like move forward in the absence of perfect information over and over and over again. And when I was taking the test, that helped a lot, right? Because I didn't get stuck on kind of complaining in my head and protesting and going, I don't have everything, right? So we have to do the same thing in life and business. Very true. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. This, this is a, it was this is a good great. episode. Yeah. Next time we'll talk about about you. Musicals. No. <laughs> yeah. Um last time though in all seriousness we talked a lot about kind of visioning and mm-hmm. um um figuring out what's working, what's not working, what you really want, what gives you energy, um what makes a difference in your world. Um and I want to talk a little bit today about kind of when the rubber hits the road, uh, rubber meets the road. And I see a lot of therapists growing too fast and I'm worried about them. And I'm wondering if you can help us. (laughs) Do you feel like you did that? Yes, in a way. And I think that's my psych. My pattern is I take on too much and then I have to painfully relinquish a couple things. A couple things. Yeah. Yes. I can't say, knock on wood, any of them have really come back on me to the point of like debt or, you know, like big amounts of debt mm. yeah, or like screwing up people's lives or whatever. And I guess right. the, the, the one I see a lot, the common one is either, so you've, you've, you've accomplished some, some good progress as a solo practitioner and you think I should add a clinician, right? Add a clinician. Yeah. But I think you and I have the same thing about while you are still trying to avoid Tony Robbins 10K courses or things like that on occasion. But in general, we have no problem with sweat equity. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'll suffer. Like, for this other gain, uh, when we make decisions, sometimes it's short-sighted, but Mm -hmm. reality, um, you and I would probably rather work our tushes off first. Um, And so then what happens, that's why you probably don't see that as much. Now other people will pay their way for solutions and then they end up spending too much money on a website design they didn't need or all these kinds of things. I think the big thing is I am a supporter of, uh, repetition and consistency. Yeah. Say more about that. That, you know, the phone starts ringing a lot, your caseload gets full, and then you think, I'm going to bring on a clinician. But do you know how you got the phone ringing? Do you know how to repeat that for another person? Like, do you have the processes in place that can scale? And what does scale mean? So for example, yesterday, one of my clients is onboarding some new clinicians and there's just even like getting them business cards. Um, I told her, I said, okay, let's think about what this would look like if you had 40 clinicians is what we're doing going to work for when it's big and multi-site. Is it going to work? You know, so whatever systems we put in place, can it grow or is this just going to be like, are we just patchworking? it together. And then when you grow, then you hurt again because you have to redo all this stuff. So even like little things of like onboarding and training and those kinds of things, you know, um, can you repeat them? So a lot of people, I think they get excited, which is great. And some of them are way more risk tolerant. And so they go for it, but then 
they didn't have the original processes in place and they didn't know how to make the connection. And so as it gets bigger and bigger and more bloated, they lose direction and side of things. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know, and I have to remind myself, like, yeah, sure, I could, I could hire more staff, I could bring on consultants, I could, but I don't want to. Like, in the grand scheme of my lifestyle and what I'm really trying to see, like, I can, but it doesn't mean I should. Doesn't mean I may make less money. It might, or maybe it means I have to find other ways of not just generating income, but being more creative about models of business and things. Those little problems, those little pain points early on, mm-hmm. especially when your business is small, your processes are compact. When you scale, they simply multiply. Oh yeah, they get magnified too. I Isn't think that amazing. Well, and that's again the thing. Like when there's sweat equity and there's pain, you and I have no problem pushing through to fix things. But then when other people's lives are impacted. I don't think people fully understand, for example, when they're bringing on staff, the you're saying I I'm going to be kind of responsible for you. Correct. It's and that's someone Ra- rather than I'm going to bring you on and you're going to help you're going to help write the blog, you're going to help promote the practice, you know, you're going to basically take what I did for the last 2 years to build this practice and kind of do it again, but in your own way, and I'm going to make passive income. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it really worries me and it really, I see it too much and I see therapists adding their first clinician too quickly without enough thought or foresight or, and sometimes it's as simple as asking, I like to just ask this question, um, do you want to become a group practice owner? Yeah. <laughs> and, and about half of, half of them will say, no, I just want to make more money or no, I just have a lot of referrals coming in. Yeah. Okay. So that's different than... I, you know, I want to involve, I want to become a group practice owner. I enjoy supervising and mentoring and, setting and culture up setting. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Culture setting and team meetings. And, you know, it, I just think people really underestimate it and they see it. And there's a lot of information noise out there, which makes it look really easy or just create passive income for yourself. Um, and I think we have to really distill what we're telling therapists and our messages to therapists, especially as coaches, consultants, whatever people who are throwing their hat into the ring and and saying, this is what works in business. This is how a therapist should, should grow. I think, you know, I just think we have to be careful. I think it is exciting. I think it is exciting when I have a client who wants to grow and they want to change how, um, therapists are treated and compensated um, by other therapists. So they really take thought into what they pay and how they're contributing to the job market and the viability of the jobs that they're providing. You know, that's the other thing. It does not feel good to hire someone. Not that this is all about you and how you feel, but to hire somebody and to not be able to give them work. Oh, it feels terrible. You're really tying someone's hands. Correct. You know, you want them to work for you, but you're not going to provide them work because you don't have the systems in place to generate that. And it's, it's painful uh, for you and the person you hired. And I don't think anyone intends on doing that. That's not what we, we want, but it is sometimes what happens. Well, and the other classic example is 
if I have built a personal brand or personal therapy brand around myself, right? Um, mm-hmm. Meaning johnclarktherapy.com, yeah. right? And people know me and referral sources know me, right? And people send people to me. And then I go, well, I want to add a clinician or two and it's John Clark and associates. Well, guess what? You have to downsell <laughs> to, to your associates and that brand that you built around yourself you're now in the position of of trying of having to share that with these people who already are at a disadvantage coming into your practice because they're not you. And you know what? The other way that that one of the quickest ways to make yourself even more marketable, hire hire someone else who's charging a lower fee and raise your own fee. Nothing will make you more attractive, right? And then on your website, you go John Clark, you know, CEO, founder, and owner. And then there's this associate, right? And and then people go, well, I can't. I don't know why I can't book the associate. I tell them like. I vetted this counselor and they're a really good counselor. Um, and their fee is only, you know, is only $90 and mine is three fifty. And I just don't know why people aren't booking. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, and, yeah. And I'm answering the phone for my practice and I, I don't know why the clients call and don't want to book with my associate. Oh, but I want to say though, sometimes we start with a business and we're like, actually I would like a group practice. And then there is the young coupling of you and your business rebranding and that's what people uh, yeah i think people struggle with that and they go well i've I've done all this or i've built this or i still want to kind of get the credit for it i still want it to be john clark that's because the business feeds the ego correct and i have a problem with that too (laughs) hashtag triggered I, I'm only triggered because I worry about therapists. I genuinely worry. And when I connect with therapists like this who have involved other people in their practice in their lives, and then they're frustrated that it's either not working or that they're, the therapists they've hired are not taking the marketing of the practice as seriously. They're not networking as much as they said they would during the interview. You know, like wh- whatever it is, I just, I worry about therapists and and getting themselves into holes that are hard to dig out of. So, so, so when do you know, I'm going to put this back on you because I'm getting hashtag heated. Um, <laughs> when do you know that you could add another clinician? How do you walk someone through that, that decision-making process? Well, we always start with the vision. You know, you wake up in the morning. What are you doing? You go to work. Who do you see? What are you doing? What kinds of tasks are, do you see yourself doing? You know, it's that whole visualization And, oh my gosh, I remember when I did this and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't go to my office. Oh my goodness, I wasn't doing therapy. (laughs) And I actually added it back in the journal because I didn't want to take it out. (laughs) Because it's hard to admit like what changes you want. Sometimes I find people that want to go into group practice, they no longer want to do the therapy piece. And there's a lot of shame and guilt around that too. So really just kind of getting clear, like letting yourself play a little bit about what you want to create and then saying, okay, let's look at my processes. Um, do I have money in my bank account to support another person, uh, during the onboarding or, you know, there's a cost you lay out when you hire Mm -hmm. people. Of course we do more employee model, but still there's costs. Okay. So Oh, do I have this budgeted? Do you I know a calculator or something like that? Right? Yeah, that would be Where Miranda's. Where do people find that? Or that's boot in camp. boot camp, isn't it? Yeah, it's oh. that's Miranda's genius. I just say like, oh, I wish it could calculate this, 
And then she gets it programmed in macros to like, basically we have it where we do a sweat equity calculator to see what it would take to get started, what it would take to maintain in terms of time and what that impact would be on your caseload. Could you still see the amount of clients you want to see and work the hours you want to work while doing the group stuff? And then we have scenarios. So you can see if you pay someone based hourly versus percentage wise and in the size of the caseload, when that tips to benefit each person more. And at what point do you hit that? It's all profit and you've covered expenses and all that kind of stuff. So there's just, there's a lot going on in that calculator. Um, so doing some math and if you're not willing to do some math, then you're going to really struggle when it comes time for payroll and setting pay for your client, your staff and all that. So doing the math and then looking at, okay, what is working in the business? Where can I free up time? Again, going back to that whole, what do I need to get rid of? Prioritize, delegate, automate, and then seeing about, okay, what kind of practice do I want to create? What would that look like? We all have different versions of what that looks like. Some people want co-working spaces with lots of different kinds of providers. Some people want a highly specialized practice that only works in divorce and everyone in the practice works in divorce, all that kind of stuff. So just like we teach, like doing your ideal client, we have people go through the same process of your ideal employee or staff. Yeah. So getting clear on what you want, making sure the numbers work and that you have some processes in place and you have been consistent, I would like for a year, at least my goodness. And people are like, yeah, I think that's a good benchmark minimum minimum. I think so. You've gone through a whole cycle of seasons and the whole like myth of the summer slump and all of that. Do you have a track record of when things dip, pulling it back up? You know, That's all huge. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Look at your and track record. Yeah. So would it's a big one for me because I'm a marketing dude. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I think, cause I do think a lot of group practice ownership in particular has to do with your ability to successfully market the practice and get through those dips, persevere them, right. Have a, have a great website, have a great message, um, and have your processes in place. Right. But, um, that part is essential because I do think the number one threat to, group practices or even practices that have just add their first clinician is getting that person full, keeping them full, right? Okay, great. So you got them five clients or let's say your new clinician brought five clients from their old practice. If you have an agreement or you, they want to be at 10 clients, right? They don't just need 10 referrals. They need 10 referrals and an ongoing, you know, that phone needs to keep ringing every single week to account for the attrition that is naturally going to happen. And the, you know, the trend towards shorter term therapy, a lot of folks are just going to come for five sessions or six sessions. Um, And I think that's very normal and very, very typical in our practice as well. So I know that I need that, that when I look at clinician numbers, there's going to be a baseline. And I talked to them about this. We're going to create a foundation for your caseload and you're going to know and just feel and be able to tell the clients that are going to stick around that could be here for a year, two years, right? Coming weekly, you know, especially if you've been a clinician while you kind of know who those people typically are. Great. So those are, those people are going to keep coming back. And then you have this revolving, 
you know, this revolving set of clients who are, um, who are in and out or who come for one session, right? So you might bust your tail as a group practice owner to get a new client in the door and go, great, oh, we got two calls this week. And those clients each come once, right? Well, guess right. What? next week, you've got to generate those referrals all over again. So it's about retention and conversion and volume. Right. Those are all things that we kind of right. teach people to calculate too. Yeah. And if you've only been in practice, you know, for a little bit, you don't have the data on that. And so it's kind of hard to know. Doesn't mean people don't do it. We, I mean, we have people that we know in boot camp who have, they started out with a group practice. Um, that's awesome. I am so, it just doesn't fit my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and the level of risk or stress that I can take, but well, some people do and, it. And this is another unspoken part, which is, you know, again, to, for therapists who take this too lightly, um, yeah, I, you know, I just want to have another clinician who's working in the office when I'm not there, who just, you know, seeing some clients. Okay, great. And are you going to support that person enough? But also, there is, I think, the unconscious weight of having even just one person who's there, you know they're in the office, they're seeing clients. Okay, all of a sudden, they've got a client who's suicidal or needs to be hospitalized, and guess what? They're calling you, because <laughs> it's your group practice, at 8.30 p.m. And so when you go, when, when therapists go, well, I just want to be in the office less so I can spend more time with my kids or not think about work and generate passive income. And but there is a mental... Um, you know, a mental component of just knowing that, yes, I'm responsible for these people. Or when, you know, the power goes out or you run out of tissues, guess what? That's your problem. Right. Right. Well, that's just like when people tell me I want to buy property and I, you know, like real estate investing, that's not my, I mean, I'm not to advise on that, but I'm always like, oh, you want to be a landlord? Correct. Do you, or, (laughs) do you want to be, oh, you want to be a group practice center? And some people, um, no, I just want to make passive income. I do too. When does that happen? When does that happen? I demand answers. Is that just my retirement account? Well, that's a good question, right? Because if you look at your life and look at where your revenue is generated, what is truly, truly, truly passive? Well, okay. What could we call it instead? What would be a more accurate... Additional income streams that come with their own stress and upkeep. (laughs) That's a really long title. There's got to be additional income streams. I would call them additional jobs, right? And again, I got off the phone with someone this morning and we did this, we did, had a great coaching session around, around her big idea. And yes, it's private practice related, but part of my, my, you know, response and the way I support is going, you're creating another company, right? This is another company. This needs another LLC. This needs its own process, right? Um, let's, let's think about this, right? Do you want to start another company? Um, I look at additional income streams kind of like um, planting gardens, right? You're sowing seeds in those gardens. How big of a garden do you want to grow, right? Do you want to grow, you know, a square mile of corn and of this and that that you are going to have to upkeep? Um, yes, I can't even keep some. cactus alive. This is well, just... then you might not want to grow your own corn and try to sustain your family on it. I go to the farmer's market. <laughs> <laughs> Delegate. Hashtag delegating to the local farmers. Um, But yeah, that's just the metaphor I I use for it. Because um, first of all, I don't know if you've ever gardened or ever planted vegetables. I have. I have. I have. have. (laughs) And and, and first of all, tilling the land was not 
an insignificant venture, right? right? Doing the research, actually buying the seeds, um, you know, germinating the seeds to, to the point where you can then put them in the ground. And then, yes, it's growing, but I'm thinking about it all the time. Every time I walk by it in my backyard, I'm going, I want to make sure this is okay and my corn is okay and my tomatoes are okay. And, oh, there's this, in- there's this insect now and I've got to deal with that. Um, yes, it is there. Yes, it's bearing fruit. Yes, I did a lot of the work up front. But um, I'm very much aware of my garden. I'm very much aware of my, my vegetables and my plants and how I need to maintain them. And that's my metaphor. <laughs> but I think if you, okay, let's, say, let's run with this garden metaphor. You decide, wow, I'm really good at this. I like this. I'm going to plant another garden over here. I'm going to plant another garden. And then at some point you hire someone to manage those gardens and do yes, all those little if tasks. Really savvy. If you're savvy. Well, not just savvy, but like, I think if you are planning, like thoughtful, I know people think about like, oh, a business plan. It's more than just writing a document, honestly. It's seeing down the road and putting structures in place so that you don't do everything. People can make decisions in your absence when you're not there. It's tremendous. My heart hurts the most for the people that get hired on and, you know, we're the worst paid master's degree and I as a business owner can either choose to change that or contribute to that. For sure. And in California, we have a special, a special issue because our pre, pre pre-licensed clinicians are not allowed to own their own business. I I got licensed in in California. And so it, we see a lot of unethical business practices and you can say, well, I didn't know. Well, there's this awesome tool called Google and <laughs> you should know first. And know. you should be willing to hire an attorney, hire an accountant because you want to do things well and ethically and with integrity and legally. Yeah. And if that just feels like too much, then, Oh my gosh, how are you going to run a multi-person company? Well, you know. What are we doing if especially let's use this example of, um, you know, and in my case, years ago when I moved out to San Francisco and all I had was an intern number, which actually that took a year and a half to get. Yeah, <laughs> so that was a bad that was, time. That was a really bad time. But not only am I pre-licensed, but then it's like, you know, therapists who were just in my shoes a couple years ago what are we doing to really shepherd that generation into the profession and into um, uh, running a business with integrity and making money and earning our keep? And yeah, I think it's, I think it's a big deal. And I think there's a lot of people getting taken advantage of, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I do, I, I got into this work and, and, and started coaching and whatnot and, and, you know, publishing content in part because I wanted to change the culture and the ethos around, um, around what we do. And I wanted to change the, the notion that, that I was told my first year of graduate school, you can't help people and make money. So if you're here to do that, you should leave now. Okay. So this past weekend, we were looking at a house Uh and the, the builder guy, you know, that's there. He's like, Oh, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a business consultant for mental health professionals. He's like, Oh yeah. Because therapists, they're just like, I just want to help people. And I'm like, okay, okay. Now we're also perceived in the public this way. Like, isn't that interesting? So how did he know that? I don't know. I was like, this is not a way to connect with me to insult my 
perfection. Kind of funny, I know. But but he's not wrong. No, he's not. And <laughs> we do struggle with that. And it's something people know. I think though, if we just want to help people, then we would do some of these things. Of I take great. I want to say pride. I feel like that sounds arrogant. But I love that I sustain someone else. I can I contribute to sustenance in someone else's life. That they're able good. to to put food on the table. They're able to pay their rent, and that feels good. That I can provide that. Um, it's just another way of serving the community. You know, providing jobs for the economy. I love that I can and. Uh, but I wouldn't want to do it on a large scale personally right now with where life is at. So, and you don't take it lightly. And I guess that's, that's part of what we're getting at today, right? Is as a general take home for therapists is just, please don't take it lightly. Um, Why did you do it? Why did I do it? That's a, that's a good question. And I think I've learned a lot since I did it. Um, and, and, and I think that I was not unlike a lot of people where, well, first of all, when I moved to Charlotte, I didn't know how fast I was going to grow. I didn't know what the market would look like here. And I had learned a lot of things the hard way in San Francisco and grown a personal brand there, personal, you know, johnclarktherapy.com. And at the end of that business, I could do absolutely nothing with it. Mm -hmm. It just dies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I, I came to Charlotte and created this business and use a a generic business name, et cetera, with the intent of seeing where it would grow, seeing what happens next in life. And it's at, you know, at some point just knowing that, um, this brand at least has room to grow into something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we reached that point, um, yeah, it was, it, I think it was multifaceted. One was, was certainly generating additional income. Um, I think I wanted the experience of it. I enjoy the business side. I enjoyed a lot. I enjoy it. I think more, more than most therapists. I, I'm, I'm a marketer. I'm a copywriter. I'm, I'm, you know, I was already doing so much business stuff that I like the idea of doing more of it, right? And maybe seeing a, a, a couple less clients. And so that's how it went from there. And I've got four four clinicians now, not including myself. So there's five of us total. Um, and that's that's a good size, you know. In, in this moment, I don't plan to to scale beyond that. Um, but you know. I know people are going to learn and I had to learn, I've had to learn certain things along the way that I couldn't have known in the beginning. Right. But, um, again, I, I, I try not to underestimate the, um, what comes along with bringing a new person on to your team and how is their onboarding experience? What are their experiences, you know, as they're getting ramped up, do they feel supported? Do they have everything they need? It is a lot, you know, so certainly running that business and excuse me, running unconditional media, um, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Um, and it's also important to have people other than me who are helping to keep the team together and lead the team um, so that I can focus on the things that only I can do, which you and I talked about that in the last last interview. Um, you have an amazing way of making the interview somehow about me. Well, I did not. I just know how to have a conversation. You're like, why'd you do it, John? Why'd you start well, practice? Well, I don't program? have a group practice. And I think people are like, well, how can you comment on a, if you don't own a group practice? And, um, well, I've run a couple businesses and I've worked with a lot of people who have them and I see and, and, the trials and stuff. And I know people, yeah, people ask you that question. On one hand, I understand that question. On the other hand, here's the deal. <laughs> they, most therapists are spending their time in the business, um, yeah. figuring things out, struggling, failing, succeeding, etc. You, Kelly Higdon, 
you you dedicate your time and your 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 life to helping business owners run better businesses. So and yes, I appreciate that. However, I think that there is power behind our stories and that's why I mean sure. it's part but, of but your story and why you do what you do and so that's why I ask. Yeah. But but it's it, it's the same faulty assumption that people have when they come to therapy. And if clients go, well, I want to know that my, my, you know, therapist has been through this. <laughs> yeah. And that, the clients ask that, right? Or clients come and it's like, Oh, are, have you gone through the coming out process? Have you, you know, have you been to war? Have you been, and I, you know, have you suffered with, with, with alcohol, whatever it is. And my response is usually, you know what? Well, it depends on what the question is, right? If I could use my personal experience, I will. I'm a big, big proponent of using that in in tactful ways. But one of the responses I might have is, I, I get that. You want to know that I get it. And if, as your therapist, I had to have gone through every experience that all my clients have, have gone through, I, there wouldn't be a therapist. Like, sure. We wouldn't be therapists out well, there. Well, I'm not, I'm not bothered by people asking me. I mean, I mean it's just, well, I think I, people... That's, that's a quite, when people say that it's a question of, can I trust you? And, and that's okay Correct. for people to ask that. However, the reason I flipped it on you is because I like you to share your, I mean, I learned from hearing your story too, of your why, and I know why I didn't do it and why, yeah, there is just no space, um, to do zinni me and that like for me, um, and the way I want my life to run, um, so, yeah, I think your story is quite powerful to have done it under, you know, that whole branding, the individual and then learning, okay, now we're going to brand it so that there's room for growth if that's something I want to do down the road. So, again, that whole planning and vision thing, like, sure, maybe one day down the road you want multiple locations and all these clinicians. Awesome. What you do today will impact your ability to get to that it will change the way you do your message, your marketing, your business plan, your finances, your savings. All of these things are influenced by the direction you're headed. Correct. So, I th- yeah, figuring out what that direction is. Also, you know, I'm, I do a lot of copywriting work lately. When I'm helping therapists develop taglines and mission statements, this actually fits in very well to that because, to me, a good mission statement is kind of like your map. And so, when you are lost at sea, or six months from now, when you're going, what, what's like, I'm overwhelmed. Why did I get into this business? You can come back to that, right? So, what is your original mission? It's the same thing with with companies who have 5,000 employees, they need mm-hmm. to unify people around that mission and go, I know like there's a lot going on right now. Like our product's changing, the team is changing. Maybe a company is facing legal troubles or something, but coming back to that, that mission statement is a way of giving yourself a map to know mm-hmm. what were my values in the first place? What was this all for? And am I on track or am I not? Like, do I need to kind of get back on track? Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, again, yeah. Date, one or two day one or two of boot camp, we do a whole values and strengths assessment because that's that's your uh, that's what you check everything against. Absolutely. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. That you should hashtag that. <laughs> hashtag it's huge. Yeah. It's, I I have to reiterate this idea. I guess, and also I'm just thinking out loud that, or just challenge this notion of like, in order for someone to help me, they have to have been through it. Mm, you're, that's, you're, 
You're feeling that, aren't you? I feel the fire. I guess I am just because I feel like, I don't know. For instance, um, a big part of, I think, how we help is seeing things because we're not in it. Helping someone see what they are in. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, this was this is what we were doing this morning. So I was helping a therapist um, mm-hmm. get ready to plan and build and launch a membership site. I don't have a membership site, right? But I know enough about business. I know enough about scaling an idea. I know enough about marketing, right? I actually know a couple WordPress plugins that are good for that. And I know a developer who only does membership sites. So it's like, uh, y- you know, I, I'm not claiming to be an expert on membership sites, right? But... Um, if I'm able to get someone far, you know, uh, far along, um, you know, then, then great. But, um, I don't know. That's my rant. (laughs) I didn't really have a strong ending on that one, but you you, you get, well, there's different kinds of support for different things. Sure. There's technical and then there's the more strategic, strategic kind of side of things, which is a lot of what we're talking about. Right. Which is more where we like to operate though. I'm really good at technical and I can get really mired in that with my clients. Um, and admittedly, and because I like to empower people to know what they can so that they can hire out in the future. I think knowledge helps them with the hiring and automation delegation piece. But think it's just more of like knowing what kind of help you need is important. And sometimes people just need that technical, but oftentimes when people are seeking to grow, they need more of the strategy piece and looking at the different arms of the business and, you know, kind of like a SWOT analysis of like, what's the strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats and all of those things. And kind of taking more of a bird's eye view and seeing like, okay, this is where we're going. Here's the steps to get there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're being a guide. Um, a Sherpa. Sherpa. Sherpa for therapists. <laughs> Kelly Sherpa Higdon. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's true. It, it It's interesting. You know, it's just an interesting conversation to think about what is the role of the helper. And we think we theorize about this to great lengths as therapists. And in the work we do as therapists, what is the role of the therapist? What is therapy? Right. right. Well, it's not codependent either. Right. So it's an empowering process. It's <laughs> right. It's not where you create that dependency. It's where you elicit a strength in someone um, so that they can move ahead in some, some capacity or like, I like Rob Bell's talk about like spiral dynamics, how we're not just like moving forward. It's kind of like an upward motion. Anyway, whole other, the spiral dynamics. Yeah. Have you heard about that? No. Oh gosh. It's a theory of development. Well, now I feel behind. It it integrates, it integrates in my development. It integrates kind of the concept of, of the different shadows of each level of development. And we kind of like spiral our way through development. Anyway, again, yeah. another topic that we've brought up that I cannot articulate well, <laughs> but I find fascinating and I'm like reading about and listening to, but I heard about it through Rob Bell at one of his events. And so, yeah, good stuff. Very cool. Kelly Higdon, John Clark. one of my favorite people of all time. Aww, you're I'm so not kind. Even kidding. I'm not Aww. even kidding. 
I know sometimes people don't know when I'm kidding or not, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I, I appreciate your kindness. Kelly, how can people find out more about you, follow along, get in touch, learn about you, etc.? If you're in private practice, you can go to zinnyme.com. If you want to see what I'm up to, kellyhigdon.com. There it is. Woo-hoo. There you have it, folks. Kelly, thank you a ton. Thank you. And I'll see you next time. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't done so already, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. That really helps us keep things going and helps more therapists find this show. This episode, again, is brought to you by our friends at Simple Practice. Simple Practice is an all-in-one platform where you can schedule appointments, use paperless intakes, file insurance claims, and meet with clients remotely using their new integrated telehealth system. For a free 30-day trial, go to ter.li forward slash simple. Again, that's our special link, ter.li forward slash simple. Because running your practice should be simple so you can do the work that really matters. All right, guys, thanks for being here. I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time.